Hi ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And today we have a super special guest because Kyle has decided to run off and get married. We have Prosecco with us, and we're toasting his impending nuptials, which would have already happened by the time you guys hear this. But we have a super special guest today. Her name is Jen, and she is awesome. And why don't you tell us a little bit something about yourself? Hey, guys. I'm Jen. I play the violin. And I think the reason or why I play the violin is going to lend some kind of inspiration Ooh, into, our, is, into our talk today. Jennifer. Are you there? <laughs> Jennifer, stop selling yourself so short. <laughs> Tell people where you went to school and what you did. All right, cool. I went to the Juilliard school. When did you go to the Juilliard school? When I was 14. When she was 14, folks. <laughs> Continue on. I talk did. more about your awesomeness. <laughs> um, I did the prep program. Uh... I moved here from LA, did the prep program. I then entered as an undergrad, and then I thought I would escape, but no, I did my master's as well. Julia, so. I got their hooks into her. <laughs> yes, they're <laughs> never ever <laughs> letting her go. Well, it was Juilliard's gain, I'd say. It's true. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> Where is the craziest and most exotic place you have ever traveled for work? Which is playing the violin. For work. Exotic. I'd say cool China. China's cool. Can I follow that up with asking what is the most bizarre thing you've been asked or forced or had to deal with for a gig? <gasps> oh, great question. Jen. Jen. Tell the story of that one time that you had to play the violin when this guy was proposing to his girlfriend. Oh my god. <laughs> this is a good story. Tell the story. So I thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. I, I, I remember getting a, a text from you, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> what were you playing? Oh, okay, so this this guy got my information off of the interwebs and texted me and asked me if I'd be available to help him propose to his girlfriend in a coffee shop in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Like, okay, that's cute. I'm going to be free for this hour that he needs me. And so I get back to him with my rate. And he was like, I found someone for cheaper. <gasps> but, <laughs> but he said, if you, can, if you can do it for X amount, um, I'll still have you do it because you have the better bio. <laughs> I, was, I was already pretty turned off at that point. Um, wow. What so did you he, have to play? He asked me to play Meditation. From Thais. Oh. Which ties in Opera After Dark. Oh, yeah. If anyone doesn't know it, look it up. It's super beautiful and yet beautiful. really trite. So, <laughs> and Naomi's going to sing right now. All right, so you're playing so the Meditation playing. in a coffee shop. Yeah, and this, okay, so this guy is like super, sorry New Yorkers out there, but he had just like an epic New York, I work on Wall Street, mm. accent, 
slash air about him. Okay. We all know the type. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that means to you, just picture it. Um, I get there, and he's, like, sweating bullets. He's telling me, like, where to stand, and he's, like, placing me here by the door, and then he's placing me by the, the bathroom. He's trying to hide me, and then he's not. Yadi da da All his friends are, like, camped out in the back in this, um, just, like, this little close-off section of the cafe, and this girl walks in, thinks that she's having a business meeting with her friend, and so I start playing, and he comes out of nowhere. He like doesn't even get on his knee. I don't know. Okay, take that as a judgment, I suppose. But he like I'm gonna st- take <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the, ang- the angle get that I the angle that I get while I'm playing is his like butt is just in the, in the air and he's like crouching down um, onto the table and he hands her a little cup that says, "Will you marry? Will you marry me?" And she Wait, like a cup, a cup like Wait, a coffee cup. Did she say yes? She did. Okay. She did say yes, thankfully, but. Um, he just, like, he didn't, people knew, like, could obviously tell that there was music going on in the cafe, but he, like, didn't kneel down, A, and B, he, like, did it so quietly that no one understood what the hell was going on. People were just, people, like, all of us were just, like, a little bit, "Eh, And were you hired for an hour and you played for literally five minutes? I was hired for an hour and I played for, yeah, five minutes. I was warming up for longer than I needed to play. So for anyone that doesn't know, Thais is the story of a <laughs> prostitute um, <laughs> who falls in love with a monk and then, because of his influence, finds religion and then, wait, does she die? She, I feel like she dies. They all she die. She dies, but she has, some, I think she dies. I'm not 100% sure. But it's right. all like a, a religious had, experience. Yeah, it's like a religious experience and like they're all like redeemed through her religious experience. Right. But he's and still alive at the end, right? maybe it happens in the right? desert. I'm not sure. It happens in Babylon, air quotes. <laughs> so it's spirituality, religion, prostitutes, right. eroticism in the desert. Right. I mean, it's real pretty. It's Massonet, and I love Massonet. Yeah, but I mean, Massonet. it's not appropriate. It's like one time I was asked to sing at a wedding, and they wanted me to sing that um, Time to Say Goodbye thing, that Andrea Pacelli song. That's like when somebody like breaks up with you or dies. People but they want, thought it was pe- pretty. People want what they want. And it was in Italian, so like anybody knows. Oh, that's so oh, sad. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy, people. I'm a busy person. I wonder what would have Pretty happened if I, if I went back to this guy and said, listen, Thais is beautiful, but it's about prostitutes. Well, at it. this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so actually, update. This man texted me out of nowhere <gasps> just a few weeks ago. Maybe less than that. Wait, same guy? Just, oh, yeah. Just to ask me what was the name of the piece that I played. Oh, do they want yeah. it at their wedding? Yeah, and maybe they want it at their wedding or something. Or like his friend wants it. Wow. Who knows? But clearly. I mean, it's pretty. Did it's he? Pretty. But he requested it in the first place, yes? He requested something pretty. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's listen to and some of it. I think we have to. Screw yeah. it. And then watch no, no, talk. No, no, no. He did, he did request it. He right? Did, so, like, he, he, he knew it at one yeah. point. Oh, so he knew it like, the five pieces that people know. Then he forgot. He Big deal. Forgot in the Ultimate Classical Music Collection. That's probably <laughs> how he knows it. Right? <laughs> Thank you. 
so I feel like it's been like 80 minutes, and we should probably talk about what we're actually going to talk about. <laughs> the topic of our episode. The topic is... of this episode today are the life and times of one Niccolo Paganini, which is why Jen is our special guest. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't know, he's basically the most famous violinist of all time. Um, he was amazing and he was incredible. And Jen is going to give us lots of insight because neither of us obviously play the violin. Um, but in the meantime, Naomi is going to give us some super rando, super succinct bio information about Paganini, right? That's right. Okay. So he was born in Genoa and he was the third of six children. Uh, his father was kind of like a middle to lower class merchant, I guess, but he somehow managed to like supplement their family income by playing the mandolin and so he clearly of course right because that's what i would do to supplement my wait, family wait income. wait when was this he was born in eight or oh, sorry in 1782 okay so so for some context this is like one year before i think lunata di figaro premieres by mozart in vienna so to kind of place drop you in here naomi's favorite opera Favorite composer. It's <laughs> your favorite opera, isn't it? It is in my, my top five favorites. I mean, it's yeah. real good. Go it's on. It's real good. Okay. So he is basically like becoming a teenager right at the turn of into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And so his father supplements the family income by playing the violin, at, or sorry, the mandolin at random places. And so clearly he had some kind of interest in music and especially string instruments. And so he was able to get... Niccolo training on the violin when starting fairly young. I believe he started teaching him the mandolin at the age of five right. and then moved on from there at the age of seven to play violin. And apparently he was just like really, really good at the violin and won a bunch of scholarships to study and train with more and more important people. I think and the so- funny part about that too is that when he was like seven or eight, his father found him like some local violin teachers and he just like schooled them. The teachers said, You're too good. We, really? we can't help you. <laughs> Leave us. So he like outplayed his yeah, teachers. Outplayed his right? teachers. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to be able to outplay my teachers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, not that he wasn't like super studious and really great or whatever, but mm-hmm. just to jump in for a second, he Please had do. something. He had a genetic disorder called Marfan syndrome. Um, and it's got something to do, uh, it somehow changes a person's connective tissue, and it usually makes them really, really tall, and it lengthens their limbs, and it gives them really, really long, really thin fingers. So Paganini technically had, like, the reach of, like, a giant. He Wait, had the what reach the... of three octaves on the violin. Three octaves what? on the violin. Which, which is basically this almost as long as the fingerboard itself. Of the instrument. Right. If his fingers were that long, how did well, he Well, they move weren't them that long, enough? but they had basically, you know, <laughs> like those stretch Armstrong dolls that people had when they're. You have no idea what I'm talking about because you're Canadian. Um, hey, my brothers and my cousins had a stretch Armstrong doll. Okay. So I think that they were unusually long, but he also had like a. The ability to stretch that. This is like what I've been learning off of the internet. But um, yeah, he had really long, really nimble fingers. Like, um, what are those things called in Lord of the Rings? Like the trees? Unts? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But like, so you know, they, like, like spindly and, you know. Yeah, so, but, but you're saying that they would retract. 
Not retract, but he had like. <laughs> I'm not doing very good right so now. So was sorry. he like double jointed? Was it like he could like whip his fingers around really quickly? He was double jointed because this disorder alters your connective tissue. In okay. your body. So question, as a yes. professional violinist, is it actually beneficial to be double jointed? No. No, it totally no. hinders your abilities actually. So I think oh. maybe I'm wrong. I don't no, know. No, no, no. But I think I think <laughs> one of the the things about Marfan syndrome or Marfan, whatever you call it, is is more the length of his fingers, not so much the oh, fact okay. that their the double jointedness affects them. Because I know people mm. who are double jointed and, and play fast. Okay. Perfectly fine. There are just some places, like if you're holding the bow or your th- like two thumbs, if they're double jointed, that would suck. Look, uh, huge, huge hands. Huge, huge hands. We'll huge hands. So he had like listing size hands. He had like oh, Rachmaninoff yeah. size hands. Yikes. Yeah. What? In fact, he na- he dedicated one of the caprices to list. Really? So. He and list Be- were like because tight. they were hand buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Hand buddies comes across as not what I think you're meaning. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> to take a line from Elspeth, this is totally unusable. Oh, hand buddies. So, all right, he had this disease which made him sort of genetically predisposed to being a virtuoso on whatever instrument that he right. chose. Right, yeah. Okay, but before we even get to that, in 1790, well, I don't know exactly when he realized he had this disease, but at some point in his youth, Italy gets annexed in the French wars that are happening in the Napoleonic Wars. Right. And so at this time, it's believed that he spends a lot of time with his guitar and becomes actually pretty... Um, virtuosic on the guitar as well and he Mm. plays some public concerts and that type of thing and he played the viola as well right i believe so essentially he played like most of the string family i think except for the cello or double bass like anything you hold under your chin in the string family which is essentially violins and violas yes (laughs) (laughs) and he played guitar and mandolin obviously um and it is said that he became really really famous for his virtuosic abilities on both the violin and the guitar, and matched only by his reputation for gambling and womanizing. Yay! Let's talk about that some more. (laughs) Well, I mean, we don't know a whole lot because the internet just says he slept with a lot of women. Right, but that was because he essentially became... Like, like, the first rock star. Well, List was the first... Well, I guess they're competing well, they're, for ro- yeah, first yeah, yeah. rock star status. And so it, he starts to gain some notoriety. The French-Napoleonic Wars are happening. He somehow gets in really well or really good with Napoleon's sister. And then he ends up playing and having, like, a post for a little while at her house or her court. Uh-huh. Um, and giving <laughs> private lessons to her husband, Felice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, he spent some time there, and I think it's, like, in, in and around Tuscany. And then he moves on to continue building his career as this, like, virtuoso performer. He gets quite a few honors throughout his career. The Pope gives him the Golden Spur, which is apparently a big deal. And the Golden Spur. The Golden Spur. The Order of the Golden Spur. Okay. So that was in 1827 the Pope honored him with this, which was a big deal. 
And then he also becomes friends with a lot of other really important composers along the way. And so he becomes like BFFs with Berlioz, who we talked about in episode two. I oh my God. He became BFFs with a crazy lunatic, almost murderer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Paganini was kind of Looney Tunes himself, so. Was he Looney Tunes himself? Well, I mean, got I some think... crazy diseases towards the end of his life. And, and he had so hmm. many diseases, I mean, right? also from a very, <laughs> very young age, he, he <laughs> called his guitar his constant companion. Like, it wouldn't leave his side. So, it's just kind of a little off. Attachment syndrome? Or... Yeah, who knows? Well, people called him a hexensome, which means witch's child, because he seemed to have, like this superhuman ability to play the violin. And he totally played up the fact that people thought he had made a pact with the devil to become the world's most amazing violinist. Like, Mm -hmm. he always wore black, and he would show up to concerts in a black carriage drawn by, like, four black horses (laughs) and all this kind of stuff. Wow! He, like, really loved the fact that... um, he had this notoriety, and apparently in 1828, he lost all his teeth, which I guess is a thing that happens. Whatever. Dental hygiene okay, was not fair. a thing back then, Naomi. <laughs> I'm making a very disgusted face, because I'm just imagining this virtuoso violinist with no teeth. <laughs> apparently, he didn't have dentures. A womanizing. He like, a womanizing. Maybe his womanizing days were over by then, but he didn't have dentures, so his face was all sunken, and he kept it that way because it gave him more like... Mysterious ghostly look. appearance. Jen, can you please play a concert where you are you make a grand entrance yeah. into a black horse and care? Four, yes. four black horses. Yeah. No teeth, super long hair. I'll just yeah. attach a few more fingers to mine. <laughs> It'll be amazing. Oh yeah. Next Halloween. So Paganini, Berlioz. BFFs, BFFs forever and always. He's also super BFFs with List, mm-hmm. everyone's other favorite womanizer Rossini of this time. As well. Rossini. Right, Rossini. I forgot about him. But um, so essentially, he asks Berlioz to write him like a fantastic, yeah. virtuosic piece to perform. And so Berlioz writes him Harold in Italy, which is what, like a four movement concerto for violin with full orchestra? For a viola obbligato. Viola, okay. Mm-hmm. And he played. Which played. And <laughs> so Berlioz writes him this whole thing, and then he gives it to him, and apparently Paganini was like, I don't like it. I'm not going to play it. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but um, let's actually take a listen to a little bit of that. Yes. Yeah.
I think it's funny that given um, that Paganini didn't like this piece that Berlioz wrote for him, he still referred to Berlioz as Beethoven resurrected. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he gave like tons of money to the he gave tons of money to Berlioz. What? He just like gave him money? Yeah. Oh, they, because they shared an interest in uh, the guitar as well. Oh, that's they right. They both played that's it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. But he gave Berlioz a guitar, um, and he he signed it. <laughs> Is that the one where they both signed like, it? Uh, yeah. And signed it. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a thing. Is that, like, does yeah. that exist somewhere? Like in museum? It does. It's in a museum. Where I, is it? I, I, I read about it. It's in, um, I think it's in the one in Paris by the Paris Conservatoire. It's like <gasps> across the street from the Paris Conservatoire. We should go. The Musée de la Musique. I think it's in there. Oh, fancy. Yeah. So, it's like they become blood brothers by signing the guitar. <laughs> so Paganini becomes super hugely famous, mm-hmm. gives all these concerts, rock star, plays all this crazy music. Has sex with a lot of women, none of whom we can name allegedly, except one. What is her name? Her name is Antonia Bianchi. And why do we know her? Because she had a son with him, and she was a singer. Oh, okay. (laughs) Of course, she was a singer. Right. Of course, she was a singer. And so they met in 1831. Um, they actually gave some concerts together Aww. in Italy. So they were like a thing. And they had one son. Kid. They were a duo. Yes. Uh, Achilles Cyrus Alexander. Achilles. Did he do anything? He named his son Achilles. He did. <laughs> Go on. Um, and they actually never got married. They never legalized their union. Were they together for a long time? They, or they were, just like had a kid and that was sort of it. I think it ended around 1828. So like a good 12 or 13 years. That's when he lost his teeth. <laughs> Fun fact. Run, girl. Run. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But apparently he acknowledged his son publicly he brought him with him on tours and that type of thing and so and then when Paganini died there's like this whole weird thing where because he had this like strong association with the devil the catholic church didn't want to give him like a christian burial that's right they wouldn't bury his body right like his family kept it in their basement right what yes well where else would they keep it It took four years that's true (laughs) that's true hold on i wrote this down give me one second Give me one second. So, and in this time, so I didn't know that his body was in the family basement, but I did know that there was this other violinist who, from Czechoslovakia, who was like obsessed with Paganini and asked Paganini's son, Achilles, if he could like see the body. And so this Czech violinist like made a pilgrimage to visit Paganini's body like in the, in the family basement, I guess. Wow. So what happened was, uh, right before he died, Paganini refused to take communion. Um, well, he thought he wasn't going to die. Exactly. So because of this, his refusal of the sacrament sacrament caused the local ch- church to refuse permission to bury his body. As a result, it's said that Paganini's family kept his body in a basement for a five years until their petition to have him buried was allowed, and then he was buried. But the story is-, is it was five years in a basement. That must have smelled stinky. So bad. So stinky. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe basement was cold. I don't know. Ice. Basement. Bad. Where would they get the ice? Get Embalming him. Oh, this is getting weird. <laughs> Bizarro. Yeah, it is a 
That poor family. Mm. Poor, yeah, poor son. Yeah. Mm. And his son was, like, trying really hard to get him buried, apparently. So. Mm. But mm. finally gets done. He finally gets buried. And I just want to go back to, because we talked about the Marfan, Marfan syndrome. Yes. We know he had syphilis, but he also had, like, a really bad bout of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he also suffered from several, like, hemorrhages of different vessels in his body. And so that's actually what they think killed him was, like, a major blood vessel hemorrhaged and they couldn't fix it in time. And so... I thought it was because um, at that time the treatment for syphilis involved... Um, Doses of mercury, mercury, and a lot of these people yeah. ended up dying because of mercury poisoning. Yes, that is true, but I don't know if that's why he died, but mm. he was known to take a concoction of mercury and opium, opium. to right. help with Which his syphilis. It's not great for, for you. Right. We have, we have <laughs> learned in, in the coming centuries. Maybe there were just, like, uppers for him before he got on stage. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, who knows? <laughs> I who, who don't say that certain. at all. Yeah. But in all seriousness, these various diseases um, kept him from going on stage actually pretty often. He would he would have a lot of cancellations. and I feel like people would get really upset about I know, right? Like Lauren Does Hill. He's... She canceled all the time. <laughs> Dare I say? Like Jonas Kaufman. Oh. But we love Jonas. So. Jonas. <laughs> get better. We love you. We love you. We're probably never going to see you again. I'm glad I saw you that one time. <laughs> um, but on top of being the world's most, like, amazing violinist, he also was a composer. He was. He did. He wrote a lot of music for himself. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Jen shared with us a delightful fact before we started recording. Um, yeah, so his his 24th caprice that he composed was dedicated to himself. He dedicated it to himself. But to defend gentlemen. him, the other 23 were were dedicated to his friends. Okay, so including like, List. Oh. Schumann. Oh. Um, other people that died of syphilis. <laughs> Here are my caprices to all my friends. To all my friends who've died of syphilis, which is everyone apparently from that day and age. I mean, like literally, literally everybody. Yeah. I mean, is syphilis what they call Schumann? The definitely, right? Definitely. Schumann definitely. Yeah. Um, I think Schubert, most likely. I know I can't. Oh, Schubert, bless. I love Schubert. The twenty-four violin caprices were, I mean. Selfishly, in my opinion, his greatest claim to fame. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess you could say all the women, but... With, I'm just well, no, I mean, but, we don't actually know yeah, names of any exactly. of these women except for the one he had a kid with, but... um, No, in all in all seriousness, these 24 violin caprices have, like, shaped a lot of... Um, a lot of the repertoire that we do, and... Um, and we play them because it's they're so technically hard. I mean, yeah, like I would have loved an extra few fingers just to play them. So, like when he wrote them in his lifetime, was he the only person who could play them? Who played them? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. People, people, critics complained that um, they were impossible to play and that the, it didn't really um, do any uh, do the music world any benefits um, hmm. because violin was so largely a orchestral. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Instrument and not so much a solo instrument. And that Paganini, along with 
a few other composers like Vivaldi and Viotti um, helped the surge of, of solo repertoire hmm. um, come to life. And, and with these 24 caprices, um, at, during his time, yeah, he was, he was probably the only person who could play them. Um, which is why I don't blame himself for dedicating one of them to himself. <laughs> <laughs> Ballsy. Um, yeah. Which one would you recommend that we listen to right now? 24. Listen to 24. <laughs> Here we go. heard some crazy pizzicato. So, Jen, why don't you explain to us some of the things that what Peganini, we just heard, what we yeah. heard, and what Peganini did for like the violin playing world at large? Well, yeah. So specifically, that that left hand pizzicato stuff that you heard is it's. I mean, it's insane. So you know, we we predominantly use our left hand for 
you know, pressing down on the instrument, but it doesn't make any sound, right? Mm-hmm. That's our okay. bow. That's our bow sawn across the string, producing sound. And the bow's sound. in the right hand. And the bow's in the right hand. But left hand pizzicato, what's so crazy about it is that it's pressing down the notes and a de- another finger is is pulling on the string to produce a sound, and it's just the left hand doing that. Um, While that's happening, is your right hand not doing any? It's it's like playing some of the notes to activate the sound Mm -hmm. um, because you can't pitch the note that you're pressing down. Because if you do that, then you're just gonna pitch an open string. Okay. Um, But for most of that variation that Paganini wrote in his Twenty Fourth Caprice, it's just it's it's relentless left hand work, and it's so freaking fast. Um, I mean, like even in the video, his left hand just kind of becomes a blur. Mm-hmm. Everybody should go look up any video, <laughs> any video. of this because it really is the craziest thing that you'll, you'll ever see. It's so impressive and it's so mm-hmm. virtuosic. And Yeah. And the other thing is um, harmonics. So harmonics, it's a, it's a, that's a difficult thing for me to explain. Some people, so I know some people can... We can talk about this really well, like the the physics of harmonics. But basically, you're getting overtones um, mm-hmm. on the violin, and like very in a very crisp manner, and um, takes a lot of precision in your hand to know exactly where on the instrument you're going to get those uh, harmonics to sound incredibly well. And if you know if you're doing mm-hmm. it in a in a slow piece, that's totally easy. But Again, the way Paganini writes it, it's just, it, they go by super fast. He does it in double stops sometimes, so you have to, like, all four of your fingers are actually down for, for just two harmonics. And they go by so fast. Wow. Um, which leads me to the other thing is that, like, speed was a huge thing, too, in his caprices. He just demanded that you play super fast, presto vivace up and down the instrument mm-hmm. um and the fact that his own hands could span three octaves on the instrument just meant that he could have so much access um to anything on the violin that he wanted without you know having to worry about distance he could just he could just put his finger down and he'd be there yeah right and we have so many positions on the violin we've over 10 right um and he and he can just kind of play in any of them as fast as he wanted to have you played them before? I have. I've played this 24th one, who knows how well. <laughs> played it amazingly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's this, these, these caprices are demanded on most of, you know, the violin competitions that exist around the world. As, as the first, as like a first round See, no, I personally, I personally do not think that that's very fair because one of the reasons that he could do this is because he had a genetic disorder right. that predisposed <laughs> him to be able to do something like that. And that's not very fair. No, I think you bring up an amazing point. Thank I mean, you. Granted, violin has, you know, it's pe- the level of playing and singing, I'm sure, has, has gone up. Infinitely, I mean, people these days can play and sing and do whatever they want to do so well mm-hmm. and so quickly now. Um, but at the end of the day, these these caprices are so freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been arguments by credible composers out there, like Isai, saying that these lack um, c- 
characteristics of true music. <laughs> um, so they're just sort of showy. Look that they're what just I showing with yeah, my hands. Yeah, exactly. And to put that, you know, on the first round of a competition, you know, I could understand why why jury members would want to do that because they kind of just want to get that out of the way. Like, okay, we can see that you can you, play the instrument right. and that you have demand over it. Um, I don't know. Just because you're technically proficient at something doesn't necessarily make me think that you can make music with it. Does that make sense? I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where I'm sure in order to learn it, you have to have, like, incredible discipline, like, mm-hmm. drilling yourself yeah. on. And it's so much of it is muscle memory and and making, like, just training your fingers to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, we can make an argument that where is the musicality in that if it's just, like, robotic playback of mm-hmm. right. perfect fingering. But then, I guess, in a competition situation, I can see how that's, like, just yeah. a technical bar or hoop that you have to jump through right. to get to the next level in which you can really show off your exactly. musicality, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So. I personally like them. Do I like practicing them day in and day out? No. Is it the Look, kind of thing where you have to keep practicing them every once in a while or you lose it? Or is it like riding a bike that once you've learned it and you've gotten it into your blood, like, it's like there forever? I'd say... I'd say a combination of both. Once you've learned one of them, or however many, um, it's going to stay with you. Okay. Um, but they're so hard that you do need to practice them. You can't, I, you know, you can learn it when you're 12, but I wouldn't say once you, you know, when you're 18, you put it away for six years that mm-hmm. it, you can just pull it out in your sleep. Right. Um, Got to brush so, it up again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're hard. Mm-hmm. Really, really hard. <laughs> so he pioneers left hand pizzicato, uh, just sheer speed that he demands the mm-hmm. player. Harmonics. Harmonics. And I remember in my double stops, my very limited career as a Suzuki violin student, <laughs> learning the very basics of harmonics, where you like you have to pr- put your finger on the string and only press it like halfway or just give a little bit of pressure so that then when you draw the bow across the string it creates a right. different pitch than mm-hmm. where you to press it all the way down and like even to do that in an extremely slow piece it's hard. A, a really weird Target feeling practice. right yeah it's really hard to get that like sweet spot where you oh exactly because it, it's all about like the physics of the tension of the string mm-hmm. and that versus how like the speed at which you're pulling it and how hard right. you're pressing down and of course the location um yeah and he like makes you do it super fast and over two strings um and speaking of which he just demands incredible speed with like in combination with um like tenths or uh you know double stops Mm -hmm. that go by super fast super high up in on the violin like to the point where your hands are so scrunched that you know like one finger is over the other and it's just uncomfortable Hmm. but you know you're still asked to play it super musically <laughs> and perfectly. Ingeniously. And, yeah, yeah. Yes. All right, so he pioneers all this amazing technique and elevates the instrument to like a very virtuosic solo status. Right. But he also, from what I remember, was given just like an immense amount of crazy good instruments to play on, right? And yeah. because he was this celebrity status, right, right, right. basically every major violin maker or string instrument maker in Europe would like wanted him to play their instruments. But yeah. you have to understand one of the things that made him such a crazy rock star, a lot of things that made Liszt such a crazy rock star. He's one of the first people to walk out on stage 
and play the violin completely from memory. He like waltzed on, he's super tall, he's super thin, he's wearing all black, he's got this crazy long hair, but he's flipping around all over the place. And exactly, yeah. he's not using music, and it was the same thing with Liszt, you know, mm. who moved the piano around not using music, it was basically just like women throwing panties at them. They were just like into it. No wonder <laughs> they were good friends. Like, I mean, they, they, they sort relate. of were like the same yeah. person, you know? Um, sure. Like that super sensitive dude in high school. That so was super hot. other people aside from pretty women that that wanted to throw themselves at him, um, wealthy businessmen men uh, wanted to give him violins uh, to play, and um, one of them was so impressed with Paganini's performance once that uh, he refused to take the instrument that he loaned to him back, um, <laughs> and it, it happened to be a Guarneri. And which are like one of the most highly sought after instruments today. Today, yeah, Guarneri yeah. And, and Stradivari were the two makers, uh, or are the two makers that um, you know any violinist would just put their life on the line <laughs> to get. And some violinists do get to play these instruments, the oh, ones yeah. that survive, like mm-hmm. major string quartets get loaned them, yeah, and that type of thing, and. I've seen a Guarneri in a museum, and it's, like, it's just insane. Right. Like, yeah. No, I mean, give, pull up, you know, any list of, of any concertizing musician, or concertizing violin, violinist these days, they're going to have a, a Guarneri or a Strad, mm-hmm. um, or something of equivalence to their name. But to them for a period of time. Right. Mm-hmm. But with Paganini, they were just given to him, and I think one of the funniest stories was that he, um, won a Guarneri after a, a, a sight reading challenge. <laughs> also, so if anyone watches Mozart in the Jungle, when they do that, like, let's see how many shots of tequila we can do and still sight read perfectly without making yeah, a mistake. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't he was happen. Just, he, was, he was given a violin. <laughs> to win that. To win that, yeah. Wow. Um, but, yeah, to go, to, to name a few of the, the crazy instruments that he has owned, you know, he has, like, he's owned three Strads, a few Guarneri's, um, Amati, the oldest ever uh, violin maker. He, he basically, Amati basically created the violin. Wow. Um, <laughs> Bergonzi's. I mean, his instruments combined could buy you today anything. Could buy you the world essentially. Wow. So I mean, one strat has. I think the most recent auction was like twelve million. What? <laughs> he, he had multiple <laughs> strats. <laughs> but apparently, he got into some kind of like financial difficulties a little bit later in life, okay. and ended up hawking a bunch of his instruments and selling them to try and pay off a lot of his debts. Yep. And so. But there was one instrument that he did not let go of, and he would not sell for anything, and that was his was constant his... companion guitar. <laughs> his, his lover, the love of his life. His guitar lover. Yes. So, um, we shouldn't laugh. I don't know. I, I feel like if I were a guitarist, I'd be like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, and, but I think the guitar that he... Weird. <laughs> Special breed. It's I okay. said it. It's yeah. okay. We're spending a whole podcast talking about a dude who died of syphilis. So right. <laughs> how we We're all weird. Right. It's so true. And the guitar apparently that he kept was 
didn't have any kind of special maker or like multi-million dollar <laughs> price tag by today's standards. It was just like this emotional attachment he could not get rid of. Yeah. Right. Well, he well so he apparently tried to start his own casino, yes. which is what left him in financial ruin actually. Oh, so that's oh, is to, that how okay. to pay okay. back all of all the money that he lost, he had to sell his, his musical instruments except for his beloved guitar that that's we so know sad. nothing about. <laughs> he was a notorious gambler, so maybe he thought it would be like a fun side business and it just completely destroyed him. Yeah. That's but, that's a shame. Yeah. That makes me cringe a little bit. Well, a lot of impresarios at that time um, ran like casinos. A lot of people um, who owned opera houses would have the opera houses in the front, and they also ran casinos in the back. That was what? a thing. Mm. That was a totally legitimate thing at that time period. So Domenico, Domenico Barbaia, who was a huge impresario in Italy, yep. um, who hired Rossini to do a bunch of things, uh, Rossini actually wrote it into his contracts with Barbaia that he would get a certain percentage cut of the gambling proceeds. <laughs> Because that was like a huge money maker in the opera house. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's. And actually, insane. we did a whole episode on this because Isabella Colbrand, who was Rossini's lover then wife, was actually first the lover of Domenico Barbaia and developed a huge gambling addiction. Sad. In his casino. Yeah. So. Sad. Yes, I, I guess it was a thing that was seemed like a good investment at the time, but turned out very poorly for poor Niccolo. Yeah, guys, gambling, don't do it. Don't do it. bad. (laughs) So, we've talked about a lot of what he's done and how amazing he is and some of the slightly scandalous things associated with him and Bizarro staying dead in a basement for five years. Five years. (laughs) Five years, people. But as far as his legacy goes, I think it's interesting, like, after his death, his legacy has kind of taken on a life of its own oh, yeah. in a way because he had this whole like devil association with him and then and all of the stardom that he had. But there's actually some interesting pop cultural references to Paganini. Um, so because he's like a famous person, any kind of paraphernalia associated to Paganini would have been worthwhile. So there was actually someone who tried to forge a daguerreotype of Paganini because there are actually no known photographs of him Mm -hmm. because photography was like emerging in this time period and so there is actually this daguerreotype where this guy Fioranini and daguerreotypes are a very early form of photography decided that he could kind of pull off a fake depiction of Paganini and it's very dramatic where he's like holding a violin and the bow is in the air and everything when was this when was this around 1900 okay so, this guy forged it and then, like, sold it, and a major music magazine at the time was so convinced that it was real that they ran a whole story about it, and then it was later found out that it was definitely not real, and so now it's, like, this famous thing, like, the for- the forged daguerreotype of Paganini. Wait, when did Paganini die? He died. I spilled wine all over. She did 1840. 1840. Oh, so how old was he? The only date I can remember is 1828 when he lost all his teeth. So, <laughs> 1782 is when he's born. Right. And he dies in 1840. Do math, guys. You're oh. so strong. <laughs> so, 58? Is that right? Yes. Hey, oh. We can math. do math. 
math in my head. So he's yeah. 58. Nice. 58. So yeah. that's actually really young. That's really young. Yeah. I mean, I mean he had everything he, going for he, him. He did a lot of mercury and opium. That is true. He did, but that's not his fault. He thought he was helping. Right. Helping yeah. the syphilis. Helping the tuberculosis. Helping the Marfan syndrome. Oh, my God. All the other things you had wrong with him. I feel like I'm having a crazy moment right now, just because, like, I, you know, I, I did a few competitions mm-hmm. here and there, and did you do the Paganini and competition? <laughs> which is a thing. No, it, it is totally a thing. Yes, it is. Um, they rejected me. <laughs> Shame. I'm sorry to bring it Shame, up. Shame. I'm but, not the um, Shame Bell anymore on my phone. It's just funny because, like, you know, we see a lot of these, like. Little violin virtuosos, like four, five, six year old kids mm-hmm. playing these caprices perfectly, and it's and it just makes me think, like, did, did Paganini is this is this this is probably exactly what he wanted. <laughs> the fame, maybe was, the fame was on. Yeah, he definitely so wanted the fame. Yeah, of and course. He'd probably also be super proud of the fact that like we were slaving over it because it's <laughs> they're so hard. His music is so hard. No, it's true. <laughs> He's probably just laughing in his grave right now. But just goes to show that technically speaking, it's something. Then if you're that young, if you just work that hard at it, that you can do it. Like there's not oh, really yeah. like a musicality involved in it. This is true. I think it's just like I think there seems re- like, like a technical it's demanded of you at some point to like master the technique and then and also, then also and do it with oh, musicality. Exactly. Right. right. Also but be if like you're like, like if you're like six years old though, it's like you know children That's singing like the Queen of the yeah. Night or something Ugh. like that. You know, yeah. you got the but, notes, but doesn't mean it's the thing. Right. Right. I just I yeah. It's it's interesting how how violin has has come to this and yeah. I mean he. He definitely has changed his technique because because six and six seven year olds can can play this now mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, it's because of him that how does that a, they like can a do six this. year old's fingers reach what like Paganini with a strange disease could reach? I don't know. They're baby I violins. mean, you can do yeah. They're baby violins. I guess they are the size. Right? Yeah, it's, it's all um, yeah. in proportion. There are you know. All of his caprices are hard. There are some of them who that make you really stretch, but there are other ones where your hands actually need to like contort to a smaller um, position so that you can you know play all the notes that he wants. I mean, bunch. he was like super connected for his time. It's oh, so yeah. crazy to think about all the people that were active at that time. Also, like, Spore was like pretty jealous of him. So after Paganini's big debut at La Sc- the at La Scala, La Scala yeah. in Milan, um, Spohr caught wind of the fact that this guy was, was rising um, up in the ranks, and he became really kind of je- jealous and afraid. Was Spohr <laughs> a violinist? No, yeah. Was he? Or was he a composer? I know he was a composer as well, but I don't know his background. I'm, I'm almost sure that he was a violinist. Mm. That could... That, Mm. Explain his jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Louis Spohr. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't get me started. It's neither here nor there. But, yeah, yeah he, he he was definitely a violinist. So did he, like, stalk him? Did he stalk Paganini? You know, or was it, like, just a weird, I don't know. contentious relationship? I think it was just contentious. Yeah. And, um, but I, I don't know the details of it. Mm-hmm. 
So Paganini has continued on in the pulp in the popular culture. There was a movie in There's twenty. There's a couple movies related to him. Right, but one we're going to talk about is yeah. the one in twenty thirteen, and it was a theatrical debut of a violinist named David Garrett. Um, <laughs> and if you don't know him, you should look him up. David Garrett. David Garrett. We had the same teacher. Do you have some thoughts on David Garrett? He's great. He's a great violinist. Shout out to David Garrett. <laughs> if you're hey, listening. David Garrett. Um, we, we never cross paths. He's, he's much older than I am, but my old teacher speaks very highly of him. Um, all right. And... But yes, tell yeah. us tell us more about this. We appreciate so, what you contributed to long the hair, legacy of Paganini. Eyeliner, whole shebang. There is this movie that he did, and it's called De- The Devil's Violinist. <gasps> it's a story of Paganini, and it's sort of portraying him as the world's first rock star, which is what he was. And the basic plot is a story of Paganini and the sister of Napoleon. Right, which um, he did actually play for her in her court. Right, and this Elisa, is a story Elisa. of them, you know, boning a lot. Really? I think I didn't so. Think there was anything but well, I mean, who am I to say? I don't know. I'm sure. And this is a movie. This is a yeah. movie. <laughs> but it was a British film, and it had a lot of like famous British people in it. Jolie Richardson was in it. Wow. Um, Jared Harris, who has been in a lot of stuff. I can't name any of it. Give me one second, and I will. Okay, well, before you started talking about this movie, I totally thought you were going to talk about that miniseries that the Soviets did in 1982. What? Yeah. God. I don't know anything about that. It's crazy because they basically completely fictionalized a lot of his life, and so they like created an arch rival for him that is plays the large dramatic role in this miniseries. Maybe it's, it's like sport. a person that didn't Apparently it is described in the Wikipedia article as an insidious Jesuit official. And then also like in this miniseries they make a big deal about all of his like rivals trying to like sabotage his career. And then in the miniseries, there's also some, like, very strange... Oh, no, this is not the miniseries. This is another satirical comedy that was created in the 90s about him where they, like, manufactured multiple lovers that, like, he... That sink into poverty and deprivation and all this kind of stuff. And then the devil rescues him in the miniseries. And what? then, like, locks him away and... He has murdered wives and all kinds of like crazy ridiculous stuff that never actually happened. That's dumb. Yeah. That was a 95 miniseries and then there was the Soviet miniseries that, you know, propagated this idea that he had a crazy art tribal. Right. Which maybe he did. Who knows? Who knows? And then we get to 2013? 15? 13. And so David Garrett is a great violinist. I don't know if he's that great of an actor. Having never seen this film, he's, he's a violinist. It's a different skill set. <laughs> it's a different skill set. Is it? Um, so like, it, yes, yes, it is. It is. So like, I tease, I jest. It's a totally. Jolie Richardson right. was in it. Jared Harris. Um, people watch Mad Men. Jared Harris was in Mad Men, and I feel like Mad Men. Oh, I don't know. Okay. There you go. So check out that movie. We'll find the trailer and we'll put it up on the blog. I'm looking at it now. David Garrett was born in Aachen, Germany in 1980. Yeah, he's a handsome fella. He oh, I thought he was, like, British. He's not? He's German? 
He's German. German. He's mm. legit German. Oh, yeah. All right. So I feel like we've now taken you on a very roundabout tour through... A rambling journey. But the... hey, a little bit about, you know, Paganini, who was not necessarily an opera composer, but knew a lot of folks in that sort of area. And he's an sure. dude. So I feel like hopefully you learn a little something today. And hey, today. I mean, it's totally plausible that Paganini went to the opera. I mean, he did make his debut, which made him famous at La Scala. There we go. Mm-hmm. So, it all and, and his baby mama. And his baby mama was an opera singer. Mama, mama. Yeah. Everybody's baby's mama was an opera singer. <laughs> Careful there. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, so, yeah. Jen, thanks for being special guest co-host on this episode. Thanks for having of me, Of Opera After Dark. That was fun. We appreciate anything. all the... Extra information. Insight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we obviously know nothing about that. And once again, thank you everybody for listening. Follow us on all of the Instagram. Well, we don't all have the social media. Future Instagram. Future Instagram. Twitter, Facebook. Facebook Twitter. All that jet. Um, and we're going to dedicate this episode to Kyle. Kyle, yes. we love Aww. you. We love you and we miss you, but we, we hope you're you. having the most fantastic time on day. your honeymoon. Hi, Kyle. I've never met you, but I've only heard you on our Yay! Dark. Congratulations. And yes. I hope you have fun on your honeymoon since you're going to be abandoning us for like two months and God knows where you're going. <laughs> like South America somewhere? I don't know. No, he's going to Cambodia. Wait, What? Yeah, he's going to like Southeastern Asia and Cambodia. And- I thought we were going to South America. No. Different. <gasps> what? Plans have changed. Anyways, thank you, Jen, for being with us. Yay! Thank you, Jen. And we are going to end, we're going to play out yes. with uh, Rhapsody on a Theme by Paganini, written by Rachmaninoff, which is a theme and variation on the 24th Caprice. Rachmaninoff, so, another man who had so huge hands. Possibly had Marvin because he had huge hands. Also, he was a giant though, so he was a giant. He was, he was like over six, six eight. Yeah, That's he was true. like a big dude. I think right. he's one of the tallest composers in history. He is the tallest composer. Mm-hmm. Enjoy, guys. Enjoy it.